Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is Soundtrack Your Life. We'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. Today, Brandis and I are joined by Matt Latham of the Pick a Disc podcast. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, Matt. Thank you for having me. I mean, uh, thank you from all the way across the Atlantic. I can never remember which one. Yeah, the Atlantic Ocean. So, I think <laughs> the pond. The yes. tiny small pond. Yeah, I, 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 made that, I made that kind of joke previously and called it the Pacific and the host was um, too kind to, well, I think I deliberately not made, not correcting me to make <laughs> so, <laughs> You can I mean, we are closer to get here too. You know, yeah, I mean, you can fly Pacific, in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, I think I've actually looked out on the Pacific um, years and years ago, so uh, I should know which one it is by then. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, you can get here both ways, no problem. <laughs> yeah, we won't judge. <laughs> it's okay. It's water's wet. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so, why don't you tell our listeners about Pick a Disc? Forehead. Yeah, um, so Pick a Disc is basically my attempt to outsource my music listening taste. And um, no, <laughs> well, what I mean by that is, um, yeah, Pick a Disc is a podcast where I get people to uh, pick an album they want to talk about for whatever reason they want to. Come on, I then they come on and just like talk about it um, and just talk about why they chose it and the relationship with the music and um, occasionally get quite interesting chats about. Um, what the music means to them and stuff and all that and it was it was mainly born born of the fact that i found out that i see a lot of me a lot of me people that listen to music seem to like listen seem to like always reference all these like kind of bands and like famous bands or like famous albums they've listened to and stuff and um i never listened to i was quite in my own bubble own bubble of music so like when uh, like i never listened to you too and never listened to radiohead or um i think the greatest hits album of David Bowie was the only one that I ever listened to, really, and it's just more excuse, of, more an excuse for, to get me to listen to music that I've not listened to. So, um, yeah, so basically outsourcing my uh, <laughs> music decision taste. But, um, but yeah, and been going for about three and a half, yeah, three and a half years, um, going strong. Um, so, yeah, so we, yeah, that's it in a nutshell, really. Yeah, everyone should check that out. And how often do you release new episodes, Matt? Released, uh, release every fortnight. I mean, I did dab- I did ponder going weekly, but then realized then realized the logistical nightmare that it might be. <laughs> but yeah, release fortnightly or every two weeks, um, an episode. So um, occasionally there's, it's very rarely, but there might be the odd kind of bonus episode that I do plan on doing, but keep forgetting to. Um, but it's, yeah, regularly every every other Tuesday. So. And that's wherever you can find your podcasts. And today we're going to talk about the 1999 soundtrack album, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the album. So why are we talking about this soundtrack today? Well, um, I think just before we started recording properly, um, I was saying that I think everyone's got the 
quote-unquote franchise that they're addicted to or um, like their like, kind of fictional universe that they find themselves um, or something along those lines. Um, so I've got friends that are really into the X-Files or being into Star Trek or Star Wars. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was my kind of franchise chose things um in a very very long-winded way um Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the reason Picadis exists if you want to trace back <laughs> all the people that I met online from like 20 odd years ago um yeah um and I think he was like randomly on Twitter saying that one day I want to talk about the Buffy the Vampire Slayer album because of his connection to the show and basically what I retroactively found that pretty much would influence my kind of music tastes like decades later and i think you said on um twitter oh do you want to come on and talk about it i went yes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's 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 a lot of lot of um kind of history the book of the vampire slay tv show and i think a bit of the music as well um that i just like kind of like tied into kind of my origin story of everything more or less did you like dig into it on like the pilot? Were you like waiting for this pilot? You saw like a promo and you were like, yes. Or did you fall into it a bit like it later? Were you like more into TV? Was it the music? Like, how did you first fall in love with Buffy the Vampire Slayer? So in the UK, it's it aired on um, Sky TV, which was satellite TV, which we didn't have um, growing up until um, much later. So in the nineties, we we'd get like. TV shows like months, even years after they started airing in the states, um, and I remember remember years ago that we watched the the film, the uh, Kirsty Swanson film from nineteen ninety two was on like Channel Five, and for some reason that I ended up watching it with my parents the like, the the one year, and then noticed through like kind of magazines like TV magazines that a couple of years later there was a TV show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, and this was. And the pilot aired on BBC Two in, oh, I can't remember when exactly it aired, but I do remember sitting down with mum and dad watching the first ever episode. And then from then it was hooked. And I can definitely remember that because I remember my mum and dad spending a good 45 minutes of that two, like one and a half hour pilot trying to figure out if the the person playing Buffy was the one who played it in the film. So basically trying to figure out whether Kirsty Swanson was the same person as Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, <laughs> this was before the days of smartphones, just to Google it. So I was there going, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, I, I, I vividly remember that conversation. It was back when you could actually have disagreements without there being like an immediate, like proving someone right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a, like the lack of immediate validation of an opinion. <laughs> But yeah, it was pretty much from from the get go, um, and then like uh, the BBC showed it on BBC Two. So like you'd be on like a, th- I think it was a Thursday evening at like uh, quarter to seven. You'd have um, BBC Two used to have like um, this like block of like cult shows that would show between six and half seven. They'd have an episode of The Simpsons. They'd have Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and then they'd have stuff like Star Trek Voyager. They'd have Farscape. And on Thursdays, they'd have um, an episode of Book of the Vampire Slayer. And then there's an ongoing joke that, like, you'll get to, you'll watch it for a couple of weeks, and then you'd have to wait for about five weeks because the snooker would come on. And then B- BBC Two would show the snooker, and everyone would have to wait like five weeks for the snooker to finish before you watch the next episode of Buffy. Um, and then I think eventually around season three, around halfway through season three, we finally got Sky TV, and it was on pretty much like a few months after the air date, and. It was never interrupted by snooker again. 
I read that in the UK, you guys were getting an edited version of the episodes at first, or you would have to like stay up later if you wanted like the unedited episode. Um, because it it wasn't it wasn't generally edited like really badly, but I think because it was, I mean, we have the watershed. I, I'm not hundred percent hundred percent sure how it works in the US, but apparently we have the watershed where after nine o'clock the TV shows shift to kind of more adult orientated content. Um, so like suddenly people start swearing, there's a bit more violence and it's like, like a thing that happens throughout like all the channels and like all the adult, all the adult kind of shows or drama intended for adults coming around through them. And, um, occasionally like the later you get on through the day, the more you can kind of get away before with before the watershed. And because it was aired at like just after tea time, um, it would always kind of be kind of like little bits and snippets be cut off and stuff so that you'll have like kind of the odd, the, for some reason, the odd like slicing of a of a fake, a fake demon or prosthetic would be cut for some bizarre reason. Um, a bit of blood will be kind of chopped out. The biggest um, impact on the editing, I think, was with the spin-off Angel where um, it wasn't bought, the rights weren't bought by BBC, it was bought by Channel 4. And Channel 4... Um, they edit at six o'clock now. Angel's a lot darker than Buffy was, and it's a lot more adult orientated. And also, Channel Four also had adverts, so we'd watch Buffy all the way through without any adverts in it. So it'd be forty-five minutes uh, all the way through. Um, Channel Four would show it from six, block it for an hour because of adverts. Um, I remember watching I think one of the first episodes of that where. Uh, I think third episode of the season of the, of the first season started at six, finished at six forty with three ad breaks because they cut the episode to bits because yeah they, they just scheduled uh, Angel wrong and eventually Channel Four would do what they usually do with kind of cult US dramas and stick it at two o'clock in the morning so no one would watch it <laughs> unless they taped it on video. That's so bizarre to me because when I think of like who might be more, you know, like clutching their pearls in terms of what can air at a certain time before late night, I would think the US would actually be way more strict than the UK. So it's weird to me that the UK was like editing a TV show that was really meant for like, you know, teenagers, not even adults, not like a super adult show. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, it's kind of weird, I think. Um, but then like they never really knew how to schedule quite a few things um quite a lot of the i think they kind of like blocked out certain parts for kind of cult dramas um particularly the bbc they said bbc would always do that kind of like early evening um block um there's like a 45 minute block um where they'll throw in like a, a cult sci-fi drama sci-fi drama again like farscape and the star trek so i think it was like i think i'm pretty sure it was like at one point you'd have i think farscape DS9, Voyager, Buffy, and another one I can't remember off the top of my head, um, like day to day, and they'll block it in. But then, this is, and again, uh, bringing up the snooker, the, the they, it was never a priority. So they would just stop it. You'd be getting into it, like watching it for week after week after week, and then having it disrupted for sport. Yeah, that's, that's super bizarre. But you mentioned that this sort of inadvertently led to you starting your podcast. Tell us more about that, because that really, that, that story interests me. You said long story short, but I want to hear the long story. Okay, so um, basically, uh, if I didn't write Buffy fan fiction, um, 
So yeah, so the online community, the online community I ended up be, uh, being involved with was the Buffy fan community. So um, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna try and cut this down. So um, I eventually dabbled into fan fiction. So I wrote um, Buffy fan fiction, um, uh, and like for, for some reason I thought I was the first person to have. Oh, I know, I'll write episodic fan fiction. So I did a kind of Buffy's quote unquote spin-off where with episodes of like a. Um, I don't know if the law will make any sense to you. Of based in the UK with a kind of a character called the Watch. In the law, there's these people watchers who help um, the vampire slayers and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I ran fan fiction of that um, on the um, on the message forum of Buffy. I was at. Um, I made friends with a kind of like um, wannabe writer who saw the episodic thing and started writing prose, kind of original fan original fiction. So he was doing like he was writing kind of episodic prose fiction for years um i then got involved with the kind of an online kind of script writer community where um and eventually became one of the admins for that for years as well um one of the other admins is, was a guy called tony who um who has since, since became one of my closest friends i was an usher at his wedding um so one of my closest friends and he's also the he's also the kind of guy in charge of a podcast network that Piggy Disc is on called uh, We Made This. Um, I, I believe that, I believe you've spoken to, I think, Colin Jackson-Brown from We Dig mm-hmm. Music. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. also on the uh, on that network um, as well. Yeah, so basically because of that, uh, my, my friend Tony's been like saying, you should really do a podcast. And after failed attempts at doing TV-related ones, um, one, TV later ones in like 2015, he did a podcast called Pick a Flick, where people would pick films to come on to talk about them. Uh, but they, there'd be people nominating, oh, I want you to talk about so and so. And then two guests would come on to talk about that film. And I did a backdoor pilot for that. And it lasted two episodes before I kind of gave up. And then um, a few years later, a few years later he's, he'd been doing his X Files podcast for years. And he was trying to encourage me to do the podcast again. Try, try pick a disc again, and um, yeah, and basically did a, a couple of episodes late two thousand eighteen, and that was basically when pick a disc was born. Because and that was all because I met my friend Tony on a script writing um, forum uh, where we wrote original or fan fiction style scripts. And the only reason I found that um, online forum was because I was writing this original prose story with a guy that I made friends with on a Buffy message board who got inspired to write that episodic prose because of my episodic fan fiction of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I wrote in 2000. So question, have you ever had like a podcast episode that's like a table read of your Buffy fanfic? The Buffy fanfic has been shot and burnt down um, <laughs> and like it's dri- been, been driven out, been been driven out to like the countryside um well they've been shot at um buried salted the earth no um now that now that's been gone um i mean part of me wants to kind part of me really wants to um re- revisit the kind the, the original prose thing that my friend mark did that the, the guy that was kind of influenced because he did about f- four seasons worth of um like prose of that basically based on like kind of witches and all that kind of stuff and that was a lot of fun uh part of me kind of we would love to revisit that and cringe but um the buffy fanfic <laughs> table read that is dead and gone 
I've checked web. I still remember what I still remember what the web address is. It's not on Web Archive. I <laughs> I panicked one day, <laughs> t- typed it in, and realised that yes, Web Archive didn't get it either. So, internet is safe. All right, fair, fair. Um, all right, so one the thing music. that you can't find. Yeah. <laughs> so the music. I do have to uh, confess that I'm kind of your polar opposite. It's not that I don't like Buffy. It's that I've only ever seen one episode in my life, and that is the pilot. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's that not that it's not a negative thing. It's just it's never happened. You know, like I just never happened to watch it and get on that bandwagon. So while you know everything about it um i know basically nothing however i did recently watch the pilot and like wow watching that now it's like hardcore 90s is like (laughs) knocking you over the head in like the editing you have like the multiple exposure montages you have the fashion but also the music which you know we're here to discuss the uh soundtrack but the music is a very hardcore 90s uh moment too and you know i think that It'd be interesting to watch it, you know, like back in time, you know, to like watch it as it is in its contemporary, like whatever. But watching it now is just this very beautiful time capsule of the 90s. And I love it. Yeah, it's, I would say I, I can't remember the last time I watched it all the way through. Um, I've kind of been like saying, OK, I've been kind of deliberately saying, I'll sit down and watch it. I'll sit down and watch it. And annoyingly, um, pe- annoyingly, people keep creating new TV shows that get my attention. Um, <laughs> and like... It's basically dragged me away, and the binge the, the binge culture is like you get. I'll, I'll start I'll start watching a show from the start, and like I'm just kind of focused on that. Eventually, I'll get around to he says uh, rewatching it, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that like, pretty soon I'll probably end up watching it because I, I keep meaning I keep dancing around it, and eventually I will. Re-watch. I mean, the DVDs have been on underneath my TV for years; they've not been rewatched in ages. But yeah, the um, I've forgotten my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's very 90s like the uh um the soundtrack just has like all these bands um a lot of them not like super huge but the ones that are like you know again like garbage massive 90s um another song that i was familiar with was the sunday's wild horses like i remember hearing that on the radio um a lot but like you know for a very short specific period of time um it's just yeah. this, like you know it's just this time capsule of the 90s and it's like really great yeah, one of, I think one of the things that the um, creative team sought to do was to kind of get a feel for the sound and like what perhaps teenagers in that 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 era and area will be listening to. And one of the um, focal points of the show was that the characters would go to kind of like a bar slash venue, and it was called the Bronze. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you've seen the pilot, um, a, a lot of the action ends up in going in there. And um, basically, I would love to have had a place like the Bronze <laughs> when I <laughs> when I was. But I, I didn't actually start going to gigs until like my early twenties. Um, I was a very much late, a very very late live music bloomer. Um, but yeah, they the, but they had a kind of like a venue called the Bronze, and um, the kind of the music supervisors of the show was like saying we kind of need to have bands like and that would have live bands in the background and they're saying like we need to kind of like what kind of bands would play a venue that size um mm-hmm. a venue that size and stuff and i mean what's what's quite funny now it's quite funny now it's when i when, when i watched back watch back when i started going to kind of live music concerts as a venue it's awful you just see as a venue it's actually quite awful the people just seem to go there anyway and it just seems yeah. to be like a bar with a live band in the corner rather than actually being 
a venue venue that you'd go in purely to go and well there's a pool table yeah there's a pool table it's the first thing you see when you walk in so it's very much like a people go there to hang out it's underage drinking there's a pool table and then someone a band just happens to be playing in the corner yeah (laughs) Yeah. you're not getting the rolling stones there (laughs) no no i think i think i'm trying to figure out the then again the highest profile people that i could think that actually played there i mean i mean if you take away the fact i think nerve nerve herder who wrote the theme tune with the last band as like an in joke, there was a last band to play on there in like the final episodes that the bronze was in. Um, I think uh, Michelle Branch and I think Amy Mann uh, played there in person, and I think they're the highest. They're the they're not on the soundtrack, but um, I think they were the the highest profile names to me anyway. I can remember showing on there, but the kind of like more to- like kind of touring kind of cool bands that would play a venue that size. And it's quite fun, and like, yeah, I was kind of like, man, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had a bronze near me, with perhaps a lot less kind of mysterious deaths and vampires <laughs> attacking it. You can leave that bit away, but the kind of like, the, the kind of like, fourteen plus, uh, like the fact it would, it would allow people in the age of eighteen, well, twenty one actually, um, in the US, um, to go in there, but um, for some reason, for some reason. Yeah, but I think a lot of the kind of musical aspect of that came from the bronze, as well as kind of like sometimes they have the uh, kind of as not the score, but they'll sometimes have the music that play over it. But again, the kind of music around that is perhaps bands that would play the bronze, and that's their kind of raison d'etre when they came to deciding the music in the show. And I think this this um, album kind of encapsulates that for at least the first four seasons. Because I think this came out during the first first four seasons, yeah, because a couple of the songs showed up in then, so that would have been late 2000. Yeah, it's interesting because I think they had kind of a shoestring budget for the show at first because it was on a new network called the WB. And so it wasn't expected to be a hit, so the supervisors kind of wanted to find bands that, you know, where they could license on the cheap. But they did a really good job of finding bands that kind of sounded like like they would slot in on the radio next to, you know, more high-profile bands. Mm-hmm. They also seemed to have, you know, sort of their bands that they worked with a lot that were kind of like their in-house go-to. Um, I was looking at some of, like, the, um, you know, like, licensing deals with, like, some of the bands on there, like Velvet Chain. They used ex- extensively across like all sorts of shows that were like the top 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 hits like right then like in the 90s right like sex in the city road rules beverly hills 90210 like just the list goes on and on of like all the tv shows that they're in for like this hot minute um yeah it's just like it's really interesting the thing the uh, the the highest profile song i can remember being in the show um not performed live i think it, i think it was perhaps just played as part of a dj set it was i think it's season four and blink one eight twos all the small things he's playing in the background um and like when and it's one of the one of the characters he's like he's kind of like drunk um, and not drinking underage and um and it's like a massive <laughs> like um he's again kind of weird i mean i was what i was about 14 15 when the episode aired um but then the UK drinking age is 18 and like the characters were 18 slash 19 and 
um, everyone's freaking out about this one character getting drunk. And, and I never actually realised the drinking age in the US is actually quite high compared to to ours. So that could be th- kind of through <laughs> me. But um, yeah, during that scene, um, yeah, I can remember like Blink One Eight Two, all the small things playing in the background. Um, and that's probably the high. That's probably the most successful song I remember being played in it. Um, the band weren't there. Um, I think it was like kind of just played as part of a, the DJ. Mm-hmm. DJ set, but um, but a lot of yeah, but a lot of the music seems to be a bit more not under the radar, um, affordable. It's probably as you were suggesting too. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't roll out Blink One Eighty Two in like every episode. That's going to be a heavy chunk of change. <laughs> yeah, because that was and this was in uh, episode nine, season four, be two thousand. Yeah, so it was probably after Enter the Saint came out. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so they yeah they probably could not afford to put the Great Two on. Uh, <laughs> I think American Pie just about got them before they blew up. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> before we continue with our episode, Brandis is here to tell you about Newsly. So since I'm the ad person, naturally Ryan was like, "I need to do the ad." So here I am to do an ad about Newsly. You don't want to read the news, but you want to have the news read to you um, in a very natural speaking voice, great speaking voice, much better than my speaking voice. And you need to try out Newsly. You can learn about all your favorite topics, sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, even the Kardashians. And you can hear all of your favorite trending podcasts from over 80 countries, including, of course, your number one top absolute favorite podcast, Soundtrack Your Life. We're there too. So download Newsly for free at newsly.me, that's N-E-W-S-L-Y dot M-E, or check out the link in our description and use our promo code SNDCAST for a one-month free premium subscription. So you can listen to us for free, for free, for free, all over, over and over and over, and only listen to us because we're the best podcast on there, just saying. Ryan, I know that you wanted to talk about uh, the person who did the original score being the breakout uh, person, Christoph Beck. Um, I wanted to lead that with how would you like, I mean, he went on to have a huge, super huge successful career. So I don't feel bad about saying this, but how would you like for your career to have launched with bring it on the cheerleading movie <laughs> as like your breakout hit? Well, I mean, it was also the breakout hit for Preston Reed, I think as well, the director. Oh, sure. It was for uh, quite a few, but I just thought that was hilarious. Like, I mean, you know, Buffy is also like, you know, again, like geared toward like the younger crowd, but just like a very different tone, you know, and then you see that he um, worked on Frozen, which is obviously Emmy. I'm sorry, not Emmy. He's won an Emmy. He worked on Frozen, huge film, got Oscar, Grammy, like all sorts of stuff for like music. But I just seeing that his first breakout thing was for Bring It On was really hilarious to me like it's such a random movie to launch your career especially from like a music capacity because I can't even like think back in terms of any sort of music that was in that other than you know like the very clippy like heavily edited like music songs that they would have been actually like cheerleading to yeah but you know you gotta start somewhere and like I said I think I said Preston Reed his name is Peyton Reed who directed Bring It On he's all he eventually moved on to doing um, the Ant-Man movies for Marvel, and um, Christoph Beck is doing the score for those movies as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, after so we had a little a little bit of reunion in the uh, <clears throat> MCU, which is a nice place to be for as far as uh, you know financially. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's done like quite a few things for like Disney. Um, like I said, like Frozen, Ant Man, but like I mean his like list is just like huge. Like after you go from like Bring It On and Buffy, which he got an Emmy for. Um, I mean, like the list is just like insane for all of the stuff that he's been a part of. So it's been an amazing career. Yeah. And his brother is Chili Gonzalez, who is best known for his collaborations with Feist. So pretty impressive musical family. Yes. And I just want to give a small plug. He did his grad work at USC. So fight on. And I'm done. I promise I won't ever do that again. (laughs) I don't believe you. Well, you have the power to edit it out, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm not much a, I'm not someone who focuses much on the score of films. Um, I've, say my friend Tony, who I mentioned earlier, um, he's like he will sit down and just listen to kind of the score of stuff, whereas I'm much more of a kind of song person. So um, yeah, so I think yeah, it's kind of rare that I'll sit down and listen to the to the score and stuff and um. I mean, yeah, the fact that sometimes I'll just end up listening because the last track on this is one of the themes that he created, that Christoph Beck did. So it's um, one of the few kind of pieces of instrumental kind of score music I'd actually sit down and listen to. So, uh, yeah, so that's one of the other reasons this album's got, it's <laughs> album's quite important. It's one of the few kind of moments that I'll actually sit and listen to a piece of music written purely for film. Yeah, I was listening to that one, and since I haven't seen any of the episodes except for episode one, like the pilot, which there's like a, you know, one minute, like brief introduction between Buffy and like the future love interest of Angel, that's like all that I've seen. The song there, the score is, I guess, like somewhat titled like Buffy and Angel's like love love theme song. And so it was just really funny kind of listening to it because it's like this very gentle, you know, like up front and then it gets like super, super dramatic. And I'm just like, I have no context for this <laughs> because I have no context for their relationship. <laughs> I know the context and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious seeing you like um, just saying that and um, <laughs> me knowing the whole context of which bits on screen match the bits. It goes dramatic. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to get if you're fussed about being spoiled or not. Uh, oh, no, spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So there's a bit, so a bit where it's kind of like nice and gent, like nice and gentle. Um, and then there's like a bit where it, all the sting comes in. It's like suddenly some of its dramatics really happens. Um, what that what that basically is is when Buffy se- sends a sword right into the gut of Angel to close a bolt of the hell that he opened when he was evil. So, uh, oh. That's a, that sounds like a really nice, healthy relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think I don't know if you've got the point, but um, the character of Angel that you saw in the pilot is revealed to be a vampire later on in the season, but a vampire with a soul. So he's a good vampire. And then in season two, his soul is um, removed. Um, his soul is removed after um, sleeping with Buffy and he becomes the old evil vampire he was and then basically tries to send out all the, the world to hell. So uh, Buffy ends up having to kind of fight her her true love. Um, and then in the last minute, um, one of the characters manages to get back his soul, but it's too late. The The portal to hell needs to be shut and Buffy has to kill her, hus- kill her true love to close the portal to hell. And that's when that 
kind of sting comes in. Um, yeah, it's again one of the very very few times I kind of noticed the music. Um, yeah, the only other time the only other time that's really happened has been when Peter Capaldi uh, <laughs> regenerated in Doctor Who. That's the only other time that a piece of music kind of struck me. Um, that and this. <laughs> All right. So for this track listing. What are some favorites that we have? Can, can on I make fun of Nerf Herder really quick? Absolutely. <clears throat> so I really don't have too much against Nerf Herder. I rem- they were kind of one of those bands in the 90s where like I knew the name, didn't know a ton of their music. And I saw that they did the theme for the show and I was like, don't they have that one song where like he just, it's not emo, it's not pop punk, it's not quite Weezer. And so, you know, I did some research on them, and then I saw that one of their most famous songs is called We Opened for Weezer. <laughs> and I was like, that's about right. That, that that's seems really great. Brand for them. I, I don't that. know much about Nerf Herder, to be honest. The only thing I really know about them is this theme tune, and that the lead singer, a guy called Parry Grip, um, did this, like, thing. I, I don't know whether it was with Weebles.com, I'm not sure, where he was doing, like, a song a day. Um, and it's just like these kind of weird, kind of like very short songs that are designed to be on loop. And um, one of them is like called Chimpanzee Riding on a Segway. And it's just basically Chimpanzee Riding on a Segway, Chimpanzee. Yeah, and that's all I know him from. <laughs> and so I that's, about, that's about correct. <laughs> they seem to be very, almost like too self-aware. I don't know. I think that's great. I love that. <laughs> Once again, I didn't get to enjoy the theme song in context because unfortunately that's not played with the pilot. Um, so like, I guess that theme song came a little bit longer or later um, as the episodes were like rolling out. Is it? I thought, I thought the, so, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that the theme song plays because it's, because you have the bit in the start with Darla. Um, cause it, and then afterwards I think, it, or am I getting confused? Maybe it was just no. the version that I saw. It was like a really quick, like super quick title sequence um, with this like ultra, ultra goth, like hardcore 90s, you know, like the crypt with the uh, white candles that have all the wax dribbling down and like crows and like this really ornate book, you know, like your very typical 90s, like goth, multiple exposure sort of like moment. Um, but it wasn't like a full theme. It was just like, it was very brief. I uh. believe that the Buffy Nerf Herder theme came in season three. No, it's, um, this version came in season three. They, re- they re-recorded it for this version, for season three. The same kind of melody, the Tangle Melodies in the first thing. I'm thinking about it. I wonder if the the pilot was the was the pilot like one and a half hours long? Was it all in one No, it was forty something. Oh right. I think you watched the first, you only watched the first half. So I think there's a Yeah, it ended on it to be continued. It ended on a cliffhanger. I was like, hey, that's rude. <laughs> oh yeah, because I think originally it was there. It was actually shown as like a mini movie. Oh, um it's like a one and a half hour. Uh, I think Right. I'm trying to think. Well, that'd be interesting. I wonder if there's a different edited version where they cut that out then. Yeah, it wasn't like a full theme. It was just like a really quick. She was having like a fever dream, sort of like she was sleeping, and it was like this weird montage with like the title um, credits rolling over it. And then she like woke up, and the mom's like, You don't want to be late for school. Uh, that sort of thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that back. I'm remembering something. I think the I think the DVDs that do it separately 
inputting in input it in um retroactively i think it, it, yeah i think it's one of those things where they kind of put the titles in yeah because i think it's from episode episode three onwards mm-hmm. is when they kind of put that in with the kind of title sequence they then kind of re-recorded it for season three so it's a lot more polished um the mixing's a lot better and this is that version and i don't think they change it from this version for the rest of the seat rest of the series um, oh, I see. So it was just like a bit more polished, remastered. Like we're gonna button yeah. this up a bit. <laughs> this yeah, is starting the... to blow up. We need to button up our audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I thought the breeders recorded a version of the theme as well at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think there's been people that covered it, but I'm not. I've not been. I've not really looked into the. Well, I think into if the venue's covered. I've seen kind of like um, you get people that cover it. And put it on Spotify because the full version's not the actual version's not on Spotify. Well, in the UK anyway, I think um, if I go onto Spotify and look for this album, the the only thing that's greyed out is the actual theme tune. So I've had to I was watching watching it on um, YouTube just to in replace of the Spotify stuff. But I wasn't aware that there was other covers of it. Yeah, so they yeah. they covered it in two thousand two. I guess they were covering it at their live shows and they included it on one of the other Buffy albums um, around that time. I think it's called Radio Sunnydale. Yeah, that I think that's the one that had the songs from season five, six and seven. I never actually got that. I never got around to listening to that. So that's, I never got, yeah, so that, I'm actually not sure what's on that one. Um, I was probably too still listening to this one. <laughs> it's like an interesting choice for covering and like live shows, a, a TV theme song. Like, regardless of what TV show it is, that just seems really weird to me to play that live. It's so specific. And, it, and not one that you covered. I mean, um, I could probably see... Nerfurder probably would play the Buffy theme live because they created it. Right, I've seen, yeah. I've seen uh, the Bare Naked Ladies uh, a couple of times and they've always played the Big Bang Theory, but then they wrote it. Wrote that song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've seen, I've seen, actually, I've seen, I've seen, a, I've seen a band that used to kind of just before they came on, their kind of walk-on music was the Next Generation theme song, but <laughs> one they covered, so it was all kind of heavy, distorted guitars version of the Next Gen theme. That sounds like something Nerf Herder would do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. According to Rolling Stone, that um, Kim Deals was a big fan of the show, so the Breeders were covering it at live shows. And that got them on the show. All right. That's one way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the Pixies weren't important enough yet where she could just say, I'm Kim Deal from the Pixies. I want to be on your show. <laughs> <laughs> so this album came out on TVT Records, which I think I forgot. And then rediscovered that tvt just stands for tv tunes yes but it's but it's most famous for being the first label to sign nine inch nails yes which we know that i have a lot to say about and i think i can't remember what episode but i know that we've talked about it a bit like tvt is just one of those weird ones where the dude who started it went to i think both harvard and yale i don't know he has like intense creds from like an academic standpoint yes yale and harvard law and he had a huge breakout success. The reason why it's called TBT, TBT Tunes, 
is because he made a soundtrack of all of TV's greatest hits for like their title songs, which, you know, like was heralded as this brilliant idea and it was immediately successful. He made all this money and switch fair. But the deal is when you're licensing existing music, right, to create these sort of like compilation albums, there's no involvement in the artistic process. <laughs> Um, but for whatever reason, they got involved in Nine Inch Nails, Nine Inch Nails got involved with them. They signed, and this dude was insistent on making horrible deals for Nine Inch Nails, hated Nine Inch Pretty Hate Machine, um, basically said it was trash, and also insisted on choosing all of the producers that Trent Reznor would work with. Obviously, if you know anything about Trent Reznor, you know that's going to be a problem. But the point is, is like, never mind that it was Trent Reznor and that's a problem, but choosing the producers and trying to get involved in the creative process is just like, you know, a recipe for like disaster. And so even though TVT had like huge people on that label and like a ton of gold and platinum like albums, I mean, if you look at the list, it's insane. Like Nine Inch Nails, Ja Rule, um, Snoop Dogg, like it just goes on and on, but ultimately went bankrupt and just completely failed because they pissed off basically everyone that they worked with and made terrible choices outside of the compilation space. So it makes sense that, you know, TVT would sign for like TV show um, soundtracks like this one. And they're huge in the 90s, so it does not surprise me to see TVT on this at all. Like it's right in their sweet space, but honestly, it's what they should have stuck with. They definitely should have stuck with the whole compilation albums, the soundtracks, and not getting involved in like artists who were like actually making raw music and trying to get involved in that. Because if they had just stuck with this, it would have been way more successful. So, to me, like retroactively learning that TBT was involved with the Buffy soundtrack makes so much sense to me. Like that's right in their wheelhouse. Yeah, I did not know. I did not. Know. I, I never looked at the label. I mean. Um... Yeah, I never noticed that. That was interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. I uh, only know this because I'm like a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. But like, <laughs> then you retroactively learn because it's like, you know, if you're a huge Trent Reznor fan, you like read all of this through like his lens, right? But then when you like go at it through the other way and you look at their business decisions, it's like when you add the artist in there, it's a disaster. When you take the artist out and it's licensing, it's good business decisions. And so... Yeah, should have stuck with that. But I mean, you know, 2020 hindsight's great. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to point that out because the inclusion of Guided by Voices on the soundtrack is kind of an outlier. And I say that as a Guided by Voices fan, but they, I believe, signed to TVT around this time. So I think they got kind of pushed on the soundtrack as like a promotional sort of tactic by, you know, the owner of the label. Oh, yeah, okay. that also sounds 100% like something he would do. <laughs> Make all the decisions because of like business, you know, promo, cross, whatever, not necessarily because something meshes well with the rest of the songs. Although the name of the song is Teenage FBI, and I feel like that's a very apt track name for the one episode of Buffy that I've seen. It seems like it matches up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it's 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 funny, it's interesting to say that it's never been on any of the episodes because um, there's quite there's a couple of few songs on here that have not been on any of the episodes. Um, the inclusion is a bit weird, but um, funny to talk about Teenage FBI. Teenage FBI, I think, because of Guided by Look Voices, is one of those bands that I keep meaning to try and listen to more. And every time I've tried going beyond this song, I've kind of struggled or I kind of 
I think it's they've got seem they seemingly have like a very big discography and um right. and I've always been quite and it's, it's, it's I've never been able to kind of like find a, a decent entry in, but but then again I I love this song and this my Teenage FBI is one of my favorite songs of all time, um I love it. I mean I'm interesting to find that the version on here is like an extended version as opposed to. Um, I think like there's an original version which is about like a minute shorter and a lot rougher. So yeah, so Guide by Voices is a band started by this guy Robert Pollard, mm-hmm. and even in 1999 he was considered an old dude for making the music he was making. <laughs> he used to be like a second grade teacher in Ohio or something. Um, so he writes songs at an amazingly high clip, and I want to say that. They have like, I can look it up, but they have, they can, they could release like two albums a year if they wanted to. He writes that many songs. Yeah. Um, so if you quickly look into that, I just want to, I just, I just want to quickly mention something about this song because I love this song and you can tell, and um, it's, it's the song I've got the most notes for. Because <laughs> um, I think when you listen to the song, listen to the lyrics of it. It's like it's a commentary on what it's like to be a teenager. You got mood swings, you got strops, you got people acting differently around other people, um, and there's like a scrutiny that can happen with peers and the peer pressure that teenagers can feel along, amongst each other. Where like the kind of like you feel like you're being judged when you shouldn't really be feeling judged. And I think that song captures it. And I think as well, listening to it in in the past couple of days and looking at the lyrics, it's a song I think that um, the, whilst the sound feels like it's late 90s as it is um the lyrical content i feel feels like it can transcend generations and i think it can be applied to the modern day so like for example if you take into account social media and the strange quest for, for approval the concept around teenage fbi is generating an image that you're being followed and kind of either being reported on by others and judged um or kind of judged and you kind of under surveillance through like social media and i think it's a song that kind of um, mean like kind of particularly now game gain um, with social media where you're trying to act a certain way other than actually being yourself. And I think that song, um, for how I read the lyrics, kind of catches that perfectly. So they have forty-seven albums, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the final and the final thing I'll say on Teenage FBI is that I've yeah for years and years and years I've applied that movie and then applied that kind of. Th- meaning to it and it then became the poster child for never read about what the lyrics actually are <laughs> yeah that's kind of like the one of the adages of like you know don't meet your heroes yeah. don't actually learn about like the origin of the song or what the song's really about versus what you think yeah. it's about <laughs> so yeah see what you said about the song was beautiful. I was like, I've never had that interpretation of the song because I just assume everything he says is gibberish. Yeah, well, actually, when you listen to tell, yeah, so you listen to the lyrics like, um, are you still being followed by the FBI? Someone tells me why I act like a fool. When you clean out the hive, does it make you want to cry? Um, turns out that it's about um, Pollard's days as a teacher where he got caught picking his nose by a student. <laughs> I read that and I was like, my heart broke. Yeah, I like your interpretation a lot better. Yeah, but yeah, we'll, just, we'll make that canon. We'll stick with yours. Like whatever you read on the internet, it's not true. What you said is real. 
Yeah, and I it's hope like, he hears this podcast and is like, "Oh, I'm going to use that in the future when people ask me about <laughs> what songs about." That's much better. But yeah, it's yeah. But then again, yeah. But I say, yeah. <laughs> but then again, I'm 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 always a um, I always like advocate people should people should like always kind of project their own meanings and find meaning in song lyrics and stuff. So um, yeah. I mean, my heart broke a bit, but then I, I'm like, well, yeah, he did write it. But you know what? Um, I think it, I, I'm sure he deliberately wrote it so it wasn't completely obtuse. It wasn't completely on the nose, pun intended. <laughs> uh, it's just so, just for some background on this version of the song. Um, so they signed to TVT Records um, earlier in the year to record this album because they were given the budget to work with Rick Ocasek. Okay. So that's why it sounds so polished and shiny. And obviously Rick Ocasek is from the cars and, you know, he produced Weezer's blue album and stuff like that. So this was definitely a big swing at trying to make it in, you know, the mainstream. Uh, I didn't know that Rick Ocasek was a producer as well. So again, um, one of the, one of the things with Disc is that I'm kind of learning stuff and I never listened to the cars debut album until, um, it was picked by uh, one of your previous guests, um, Brian from, uh, playlist Wards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a huge Cars fan. Yeah, it, uh, the Cars is his favorite album, and he picked that. And um, that at the moment, the Cars debut is still perhaps my favorite album I've been introduced to because of the podcast. Um, so yeah, I yeah, and as soon as you said that Rick Ocasek, so I'm assuming Rick Ocasek produced this version of Teenage FBI. Yes, that explains how much it's all connected. <laughs> Next time, next time you see me, I'm going to be that kind of it's sunny in always sunny in Philadelphia meme where it's just me um, with that kind of all all those kind of connective strings oh, and stuff. Charlie. Yeah, kind of like oh my god, it's all connected. <laughs> Beautiful minded. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first time I ever had a drink at a show was at a Guided by Voices show. So I was, I, I actually there was a lot of firsts from the show. So I went to go see them. I think in 2000 so right after this album came out right after um do the collapse the album with teenage fbi came out and it i saw them in hollywood at the, at the house of blues and it was it was the second time i had seen guided by voices but like the first time where they they were the headliner and so robert pollard like i said was already kind of old for like an indie musician at this point already like I think he started when they started getting popular. I believe he was already in his like early forties. Okay. And so he comes on stage with the band and they all kind of look like they're around his age and they bring a, just a huge ice box full of beer (laughs) and it just sits in the middle of the stage and they open it up and he just pounds beers while singing these two minute songs and he's doing like karate kicks in the air, like he's, you know, Roger Daltrey or something. <laughs> and and the, the band's doing all these big windmills and stuff like that, like they're the Who, even though they're this, you know, I'm a fan, right? I'm there for them. But they're kind of, they're playing into this hilarious thing, like they're a bunch of older dudes, but they're going to like pretend they're rock stars. And so the first beer I've ever had at a show was because Robert Pollard handed me a beer in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and 
so he gets sloppy drunk during these concerts and not that i'm this big of a fan but apparently if you were in the guided by voices fan club i think maybe five or six years ago they released an album of just drunken ramblings that he did during these shows when he got like sloppy drunk (laughs) just like 35 tracks of just like him slurring his words together that's in the amazing. middle of the I show it, it must just been like kind of finally going yes we can finally live our mid-20s fantasies of being a rock band so they're probably just using the opportunity to just like live that dream <laughs> From the same yeah day. i saw some i saw some groupie talking to the bases it was weird like i was like oh this is like what a groupie interaction like looks like <laughs> you know like during the show she's like asking them for like a cigarette and i'm like this is weird man Hey, Aerosmith was having like their third comeback around that time. And so they were making, you know, like the old rock stars on stage, but just living it up like really trendy. So, you know, they were just riding those coattails. <laughs> As an 18 year old, there was a lot to take in that night. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll always remember that show. First time I ever had a drink during a concert was because the lead singer of a band gave me a beer. <laughs> I love that story. That's great. I mean, that's exceptionally special. <laughs> that was a very special beer. Did you keep the can? Is it like sitting on your shelf somewhere? No, we didn't take it back. It was a bo- <laughs> It was, you know, it was a glass bottle. Like we were college kids. We weren't going to, it was going to break before we got it back to campus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're lying. You are a part of the fan club and you have a shrine with that glass bottle somewhere. I know it. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear the album of just him rambling, but I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. All right. So, past Teenage FBI, what would you say is your second favorite song on this soundtrack, Matt? <sighs> I think, I think Brit in me and. The Brit in me would have to will have to pick, and this com- this like confused a bunch of my friends when we first saw it. It was like, how the hell did these get onto the Buffy Van- Buffy the Vampire Slayer soundtrack? Um, Hepburn, um, I Quit, who I think to this day it was like everyone's like amazed that they made show up on here. There was there was like a kind of short lived kind of um, indie band um, who had like one hit song called I Quit um, and one album and um, I mean the, the album I don't think the album didn't do that well um, to the point where I think uh, the band broke up and one of them is actually a police constable in Nottinghamshire um, wow. so, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a very uh, interesting post rock band career <laughs> yeah I, I think um, the only reason we know that there's a, a panel show called Nevermind the Buzzcocks and it's like a basically like a comedy panel show like um i don't know if you have i don't know if you have them in the u.s that well um stuff like nine eight eight ten cats um uh no, uh, no i've got news for you where it's just like a bunch of like comedians of people like answering questions and cracking jokes and stuff and there's a music-based one called uh, Never Mind the buzzcocks and they have um a round called the identity pride round where they'll have five people and one of them was like a musician from a certain period of time, and the they had the the team will have to guess correctly who was who, and one of them was the bassist from Hepburn, and um, says, and basically revealed there that she's now police a, con- a detective constable, 
um, in like in Nottingham in the uh, East Midlands um, in the UK. But uh, yeah, Hepburn, I quit. Um, it's one of those kind of catchy kind of indie pop songs from like the late nineties. Um, there's a, there's a very British saying, like a very British saying to it. Um, her, um, her vocals have got a kind of almost like a British accent to them. Um, and again, never showed never showed up on the on the show at all. Um, they released a second video where they actually filmed on the sets of the four seasons. So by that time, Buffy had gone to college, so they actually filmed the band playing on the sets, and also had them in vampire makeup as well for certain shots in this second video. And if you, yeah, and <laughs> the makeup budget didn't stretch for them to actually have the full prosthetic, so they've got kind of really like pale. Um, basically, they look they look cheap compared to the prosthetics they usually have. Um, <laughs> so there's like cheap fangs and prosthetics and flashing lights in the background. Um, but yeah, this one it's just it's very catchy. I, I mean, I've always liked it. Um, so when it came up on on the album, I was like, yeah, I like the song. Um, it's just really catchy, and it's also kind of the, the kind of sound of stuff that I'd be listening to now. So the kind of bands that I quite like now um like almost kind of like a, a poppy slash like almost grunge almost pop kind mm-hmm. of sound yeah this is i mean if this was released now i would this is definitely something i'll be listening to right now as well yeah i see that one of the writers of the song or the guy who wrote that song also is one of the co-writers on the song torn that mm-hmm. was big in the, the 90s Mm-hmm. Yeah. huge very popular song. here i remember that being on the radio just like incessantly like over and over again yeah um philip uh phil thornelly uh i think he wrote for i think he originally wrote the everclear version i think hmm. oh. no everclear it's not everclear well i can't remember who wrote the or the, the, I didn't know Torn was a cover. Yeah, Torn. Yeah, Torn. Yeah, the Natalie Brilly version's cover from. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not ever clear. I can't remember the name of the. Oh. It's gonna bug me now. I hate it when that happens. It's like right there, and then it just like vanishes from your brain. <laughs> Edna Swap. I was close. <laughs> <laughs> I got the first letter right. <laughs> We'll give it to you. It counts. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I only read that, um, um, only read that like recently as well. I didn't really know. Uh, again, it's, it's only been kind of like the last few years I've started paying more attention to songwriters that aren't, um, Max Martin or Kathy Dennis, um, which is a weird combination. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so starting to, starting to notice all these kind of different like songwriters and you get kind of, very familiar kind of tropes and stuff, and you can kind of see the similarities in the sound, if not the lyrics, then definitely the sound um, of this and um, torn. But uh, yeah, there's just like a nice kind of like, uh, I don't, yeah, it's a, shame, it's a shame that Hepburn didn't last as long as they did. I think they had a second single called Bugs, which I can barely remember, but I always get that confused with a very similar band uh kind of a very similar sound called thunderbugs um that came out just i think a couple of years earlier and they had a song called friends forever which had a kind of very similar sound as well 
Um, but I always get that confused with the song Bugs by Hepburn. Um, yeah, I'm confusing people. <laughs> <laughs> when I was listening through uh, the track list for this soundtrack, um, I was struck by like when I was listening to the Velvet Chain Strong. I was like, what is this like reminding me of? Like something was like really like nagging at me. And then I finally found it. It reminds me so much of Sneaker Pimps Underground. Like it's so similar to me. And that came out like actually a year before. I was like wondering if there was a little bit of sampling going on there. Because it's so similar. Uh, is that, oh, that's um, that song's on the Con Harley White soundtrack, isn't it? I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, which is one of my favourite films. Um, yeah, directed. Um, <laughs> funny enough, I listened yesterday whilst I was um, doing gardening work, listening to your uh, Josie in the Pussycast episode, um, talking about uh, see Harry Alphonse, uh, Harry Alphonse and Deborah, Debbie Kaplan, who directed mm-hmm. that. Also directed Can't Hardly Wait, um, which featured <laughs> which featured that song he was on about. <laughs> so it's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> Right? It's like you don't really realize until you start doing this stuff and then like really talking about it and digging into research that you're like, wait a minute, it really is all connected. You could totally do like a beautiful mind wall on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> one, song, one song I definitely want to bring up as well is the Four Star Mary Payne um, song. Um, so uh, around about halfway through season two, Seth Green turns up. Um <laughs> Seth Green turns up and joins the main cast for, um, yeah, for uh, up, up till about the, like halfway through the second se- uh, the fourth season, and um, he's a guitarist for a band called Dingoes Ain't My Baby. Um, so he, so he's kind of like so a few times you'll see him play like I don't know whether Seth I don't know whether Seth Green cast you play guitar or not, but you'll see him on stage like playing guitar and there's a he's got his friend Devin who's the singer and the and this, their band's called Dingo's Like My Baby. But the band behind, they actually got a real band to kind of play as them, just using their songs and and just saying they're this fictional band. And that band's called Four Star Mary. And um, the song Pain, um, which is on this album, appears in about three or four different episodes. Um, three or four different episodes. Um, and yeah, so this, so it's, it's, it's probably the most prolific song on this album for anyone who kind of is like me a diehard because they'll they'll pick this song up on about several different occasions and um for, again for years for years this album actually has the edited version of this song so there's a refrain where it goes do not f with me it's always been that's always been blanked and it's only been where i've been looking for the song on spotify on the lead up to this that the the effect, the F word started coming out, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> like, I was oh like, my like, God, it's a swear word. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I was like, blow me neck, and um, yeah, it, it's not as bad as when I realised many, many years later that the copy of South Park Chef Aid that I had was the censored version. Um, <laughs> yeah, so when I yeah, but it's not as bad as that. But I heard that, and I was like, wait a minute, they're swearing in this. Why is it not swearing in my version? I always think it's extra devious. I mean, I get why they do it because it's like a little bit jarring, you know, like a bit of a record scratch when you have like just the sound taken out, you know, where it's just like mm-hmm. the, not the bleeping, but just the removal of the words. So I get why they sometimes re-record the lyrics 
and record, you know, sort of like the G-rated version for like the radio. But I always think it's a little bit devious because it's like, if you happen to have heard the song on the radio first, you know, and you think these are like the actual like lyrics and you just get used to and acclimated to this version of the song. And then, you know, whatever time later you hear like the real version and you're like, oh, <laughs> I've been totally duped by the G version. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, when, I, I eventually, when I eventually got the D12 album and, and realized that oh, Purple wow. Pills, that Purple Hills wasn't actually Purple Hills, it was Purple Pills. And it's practically <laughs> a completely different song. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> right? See what I mean? Yeah. It's like less cruel if they just like blank out the word. Because <laughs> then at yeah, least you again, know going back to the Going back to the Chef Aid example, um, the first song of that is Nowhere to Run with DMX, Crystal Method, uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew that song, but there's a, a lot. And I never realised that the words were actually blanked out. I just thought it was the way that DMX was rapping on that song. And then, um, <laughs> again, like, okay, like, randomly, um, just like, oh, I have a quick look on um, YouTube and played it on YouTube. And, like, there's, like, twice as many words coming down, like, what? Where did all this language come from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for an SNL skit where they uh, do like a spoof, like re-recording cover of Nine Inch Nails Closer, um, but it's like the G-rated radio edit. Like, I want to see all the really great, like, fill-in-the-blank versions they can come up with for that song. <laughs> well, I want to pet you like an animal. Yeah, exactly. It's like them sitting in the recording studio, like brainstorming all the different lyrics that they could swap out instead. I think that would be a great skit. SNL, <laughs> if you're listening, that's a freebie. <laughs> Can you imagine someone at Interscope going to Trent Reznor like, we're going to need you to like record a different version with different lyrics for the radio. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, part of me thinks he probably would do it just for the Right, I mean, he has a sense of humor, so half of yeah. me is like, he'd be like, absolutely not, because he's so militant about his music. The other half of me is like, he might actually do it, just because it would be so funny. Yeah. <laughs> or a little, or he at least so that he can show up at the end. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Cash had to do that for Hurt. Well, I mean, where is this crown that, of thorns? thorns? Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah, I think so. The Johnny Cash version of that song is the this is the first time I my first experience of that song. Uh, so uh, again, <laughs> hearing the finally listening to the Trent Reznor version and his the his version of that line, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, um, <laughs> I've made so much money off of bets because most people um, have first been introduced to Hurt through Johnny Cash to the point where you know it's like if you don't know it's a cover, you don't know it's a cover, and I get that. You know, there have been Nine Inch Nails songs that I don't remember. I didn't realize those were covers until you find out. So like, I get it. But people actually argue with me when I'm like, that's not Johnny Cash's song. And they're like, no, that's Johnny Cash's song. I'm like, it's a cover. And like, I'll bet them money. And like, obviously every time I win, because you know, it's true. <laughs> but like, I've made so much money off of that one bet. That's like my one bet. That's my moneymaker. <laughs> I'm like, that's not his song. Like, I know this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, I was surprised to find it was a game. We're talking about songs surprising that were covers. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that that was a cover at first. Pretty much like Torn. Pretty much also, what a song that I didn't know was a cover um, was Wild Horses. Bringing it back. <laughs> Bring it back. I didn't know that was a cover either. <laughs> no, it's a Rolling Stones song, I think. Ah. Yeah, that's the closest you're going to get for the Rolling Stones being on Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> that's such an interesting, um, that's such an interesting choice. But yeah, like I don't, 
I've, I just remember the Sunday's version, like on the radio all the time. So that's like what I associate with this, not Rolling Stones for sure. But yeah, Wild Horse, that Wild Horse song, I mean, I think I, I think I prefer this version to the Rolling Stones version. And I'm just going to duck anything being thrown at me. Okay, back up. And yeah, so just in case anyone tries to throw at me through the internet um, and anyone tries to track me down, I'll just give you a address on my enemy. <laughs> in case anyone tries to track me down. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think as well, this song, um, Wild Horses, um, I think it has kind of strong links to where it appears in the so- in, in the show as well. So one of my favourite episodes is an episode called The Prom, which is, I think, episode 20 of season three, just before the season finale. Um, so they're coming up to the end of this. And it's pretty much coming up to the end of the high school era of the show. And there's a whole thing with whole thing with a, like Buffy being determined that everyone's going to have a, a safe, normal night of a spent And like, um, yeah. When, yeah. So basically, um, so, and which basically leads to her having to hunt down three kind of hellhounds that have been unleashed by someone who basically is pissed off because everyone and everyone he asked for the prom said no. So he's just, so he's going to disrupt disrupt the prom with these th- like three hellhounds. So she breaks, she kills them. Um, there's a whole thing with Buffy and Angel um, just breaking up with that earlier in the episode. Um, there's a whole, there's a good, nice sequence where cause she's always said she wanted a perfect high school moment when there's a bit where she has the whole class kind of do a writing ballot and there's this speech by someone that she saved a couple of episodes before, um, giving her this really, giving her this like really cheap trophy made of an umbrella with the word class protector on it, and um, it's got a really nice, really touching moment, um, and then at the very end you have like some of the all the like couples pairing off and she's just wandering around and Missy starts playing in the background and then you kind of see Angel show up in a tux and have like a kind of bittersweet kind of dance and the episode ends to this song episode ends to this song um so like the executive producer um like like title card mm-hmm. comes up and this song kind of like fades out before the theme tune kicks back in for the credits and it's so I've always liked how this song kind of works in that in that scene so like it always reminds me of that and it being one of my favorite episodes as well kind of i just love that kind of link to it yeah absolutely and especially if you're like really liking that episode that's gonna like rip off like whenever you hear like the song it like makes you think of that too for sure thanks matt for coming on the podcast oh thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun yeah it was great uh you can check out pick a disc every other tuesday Mm-hmm. And what are your socials? So, yeah, so you can find me on um, Pick a Disc um, pretty much anywhere. So it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, under Pick a Disc. i got a Linktree URL, which is just uh, link dot, linktree.ee slash Pick a Disc. Feel free to look at the We Made This podcast network as well. Um, I said earlier, I think a previous, I think uh, another guest of yours, Colin, was also has a show on that network with uh, We Dig Music and um probably this one's issue um there's also a load of stuff on there um because i think tiny will share to me if i don't get the chance to plug it um <laughs> but i'm also on a couple of other shows on that as well um i'm on shoot wrecks and comatose which is a covering the um british sitcom red dwarf um and i'm also on um, notebook club which is our show covering yellow jackets as well so if anyone watches yellow jackets um no give that a listen um i'm one of the regular hosts on that as well 
Yeah, and you can check us out on Instagram at SoundtrackCast and on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your. Um, thank you again, Matt, and uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.